20,000 feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three oars rip right round your jugular. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, Ph.D., an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be talking with Shireen Shakori about reproductive justice. But first, Melody, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. I'm in Atlanta. I gave a talk at yeah. a DIY art space hosted by Civil Bikes relay bike share and the atlanta bike coalition and it's been really rad i have had a great time getting to know people here in atlanta atlanta is amazing it is currently sunny and raining uh but that is much different than what is happening in my home state of minnesota where we got 14 inches of snow and i'm not exaggerating so it's wild. It is just nice to be in Atlanta, but the benefits I would have I would love Atlanta no matter what, but then the added benefits are that it's an actual temperature above 30 degrees and there's right. green <laughs> foliage and it's raining, not snowing. More amazing than the weather is how cool this talk is and that a group read your book for a book club and I said this last week, but I just want to say again how proud I am of you for how your research is impacting people on the ground and I think it's awesome. Thank you. Thank You're you welcome. <laughs> I'm bad with compliments. Okay. Next. I know. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm okay. It was another busy week. This will be the last week that I talk about how my week was full of teacher training because they graduated on Saturday. Um, and God. it was really lovely and moving. And after two months of very hard work, we have a new batch of people ready to share yoga with other people. And I did my best to talk about colonization and racism and all the things. So I hope that they will have at least a little bit of an anti-oppressive framework as they move through from this point. And uh, so I was really glad cool. to be to be a part of that. And uh, that's my biggest news. I'll have I'll have different different updates to share moving forward. But. It was I'm, good. I'm assuming that you get to add that lecture in about colonization. There's not, I mean, there's not a ton of space for things that are outside of the sort of corporate handbook, right. but there is a day that we learn about Sanskrit and to core powers credit, they, they talk about the importance of like the history of, of Sanskrit and of the culture that yoga came oh, from. Okay. okay. And so that's when I sort of did the like, hey, PS, power matters in this. So it was it was pretty brief, but I think it stuck with people and, you know, just little things like I talked about not assuming people's genders when you walk into a room. So, you know, not to say, hey, ladies, things like that. So just so just little things that I hope I think will stick with folks. So before we get to our interview, which I'm super excited about, I do want to have a bit of a bit of an accountability corner. Something came up on our Facebook group, a listener and friend of the show uh, noted that there was something about Roseanne that I, I hadn't been aware of. So last week in our episode, we talked about both Roseanne the show and Roseanne the person. And I feel like it's possible we could have been clearer about supporting the show insofar as we were watching, are watching the show versus supporting Roseanne, the actress who has said 
you know, really horrible things. And we named a number of those horrible things that we absolutely don't agree with as anti-oppressive teachers and activists. But something that we didn't mention and, and I hadn't known about it was a photo shoot that she did for a Jewish satire magazine where she was dressed as Hitler. And I just want to make clear that I, you know, also don't, I, I would have, you know, I would have added that to the list of things that I found to be egregious and not okay. And so it seemed like maybe it wasn't clear enough that of the sort of past racist and transphobic things that she said, we obviously don't agree or uphold those things. So apologies if that wasn't clearer. And certainly, I, you know, I would add this to the list because it's was, was really harmful and triggering to a lot of people. And despite the fact that it came from a satirical publication, which I think is important to, to note, but also that doesn't take away the fact that it, it was harmful. And so for, for my politics, I, I would add that to the things that I think are, are not okay. So that is a side note, a bit of an accountability corner about that. Moving on. I'm so excited for our guests today. Shireen has been somebody who's been listening to the show for almost since the beginning. I forgot to ask how she first sort of found out about it, but uh, she's she's been, she's been with us for a while. And Mel, I would love you to introduce her to us. I can do that. Also, I'm just going to, because it's our show, I just want to give a shout out to the executive director of the Murmur Art Space in Atlanta, because they were also aware of the podcast. They said, oh, I didn't know that you were the same person of the podcast. I was like, oh my gosh. How Amazing. Did you, how'd you find out about the podcast? But they follow a lot of people on Twitter. So oh, uh, yeah. very active on Twitter is the better way to say it. So it's Great. really awesome and very humbling to run into people that know about your podcast. Back to one of our original Killjoys. Shireen is uh, our guest today, a very proud DC voter and re- reproductive justice advocate who equally proudly reps her New York roots. Formerly a Middle East-South Asia foreign policy analyst, she turned to reproductive justice work a year ago after spending years volunteering for pro-choice and sexual health causes in and since being at college at George Washington University in D.C. She is Iranian and Italian-American and loves cooking, dancing, and storytelling with those cultural influences. I'm so excited for people to hear this. Will you take us there? So hello, Shireen. Thank you so much for being with us. We, uh, as we just told the listeners a moment ago, we just, well, we told them all about you and who you are, but I'm also just personally super excited because you've been like a listener since I think almost the very beginning. And so I feel like I've known you. And um, when Melody got to meet you in person, which I'm jealous of, but I remember her saying, me, you reminded her of me because oh. you were, you had like cute big hair and cute lipstick on or something. And I was like, oh. And also uh, very intelligent. It's. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Of course, that's what I took away. I was like, oh, cute. <laughs> um, but um, yes, I'm, I'm sure that's you. Um, so anyway, all that is to say is we're just super, super stoked to have you on um, to talk about reproductive justice. So let's just jump right in. How would you define reproductive justice? So reproductive justice is both a movement and an analytic um, framework. Um, And I might shorthand it as RJ um, throughout the talk, but um, it's based on uh, a human rights model and it stresses as its core tenets um, that everyone has 
the right to parent, the right not to parent, and the right to raise our families, and I include chosen families, in safe and healthy communities. Is it beyond the pro-choice, pro-life then debate? A hundred percent. If you want a little on the history of um, the right movement in the U.S., it started out because, um, well, it was founded in the mid-90s by women of color, mostly black women, who were working in the reproductive rights and pro-choice space. Um, and they found that the existing movement um, like didn't really reflect their stories and their lived experiences. And this was a post-Kimberly Crenshaw uh, intersectionality introduction uh, world, at least her initial writings. Um, so it was informed by the need to center the voices of people who were living at the margins, um, and that's especially low-income people and people of color, people who do often benefit from um, reproductive rights legislation, but their stories aren't centered. Also, the construction of choice doesn't always fit those narratives because often access to reproductive care, health care, and abortion aren't really a framework of choice when you are dealing with issues of being marginalized. I, I didn't know that was the roots of the history, but it makes me sad that it got sort of, I think, popularly co-opted in a way that that history is erased. So I'm so grateful that you uh, that you shared that. And sort of speaking of thinking more about the ways that this disproportionately impacts marginalized people, which again, isn't usually what we sort of think of, I think, popularly about the movement. Can you talk about uh, how reproductive justice can be inclusive of trans people? Because I think that's something that might come up with some misconceptions about um, about what it what it means as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the framework and the movement itself um, has really developed over time uh, to include the conversations we weren't always having as publicly in the 90s, um, including and especially trans visibility and inclusion and really a stronger sexual politics. So um, a lot of people will now say sexual and reproductive justice to describe the framework and some of the movement work as well. So for instance, moving away from the discourse that is centered on genitals and avoiding calling people um, seeking abortion and giving birth women instead using pregnant people, which has the dual purpose of including all bodies in the discussion of pregnancy outcomes and parenting and kind of taking the power away from people who want to promote the women as the sole care provider's gender role. And so one way our movement has been working towards that goal is removing barriers to contraceptive access, especially Plan B. And by the way, Plan B is not the abortion pill. It's a contraceptive, which is taken within 72 hours of unprotected sex. And in the U.S., the, our Food and Drug Administration allowed Plan B to be accessed on the shelf five years ago. But a lot of pharma- pharmacies and grocery stores are still putting it behind a counter. And what that means is that a lot of times people have to, one, be available at the time the pharmacy is open or talk to a manager. They often have to show ID, which, and there are other barriers as well to the point where people are being policed out of this type of healthcare they're trying to access. So they can receive judgments on who looks like they're someone who can get pregnant or have penis and vagina sex. And also the very real issue of asking for ID, which is often not gender affirming, and it can shame trans people and endanger undocumented people. I also want to uplift the work of the We Testify Story Project. I think a lot of the best culture change work we can do around abortion access and especially uh trans inclusivity in our movement is in storytelling. Um, and that project is through the National Network of Abortion Funds. And um, they do a lot of 
storytelling work. It's a leadership development program that oftentimes centers GNC and trans people and their abortion and contraceptive stories as part of the whole body of pregnancy outcomes. So I'm curious how you got interested in this movement. Can you tell us your story and and why you care about all this stuff? Yeah. So what I love about this work, and I started it in college just because there was a pro-choice group on campus and we handed out condoms on the quad and we called them cookies and condoms in the quad and it was great. And it seemed like a fun thing. But as I developed more into an intersectional analysis and understood other offshoots of this work, I found that the movement really incorporates every issue that I care about um, because it's based on intersectional principles. So RJ really places itself kind of in virtually every movement for liberation. When you think about the framework, especially the right to raise our families, safe and healthy communities, there's virtually no issue that can't be addressed from an RJ framework. So when you think about policing and state violence, economic justice, and the limits of pregnancy on economic output, um, financial barriers for access to all types of healthcare, environmental justice, uh, immigration justice, of course, LGBTQIA 2S plus rights, uh, and visibility, religious freedom, disability rights. There's really nothing that you can't approach from an RJ framework and you can't work collectively um, within RJ movements to chip away at levels of oppression. That's amazing. And it's so interesting. The next question I wanted to ask you uh, is about RJ's relationship to prison. But it's so funny that you sort of described your investment in it like that, because that's ex- like exactly how I feel about the a prison abolition framework, because I feel like it's yes. also inclusive of literally everything. Um, you know, prison abolition is about economic justice. It's about disability justice. It's about anti-racism. And it's also, mm-hmm. I know, definitely about reproductive justice. So I am very interested in uh, what the reproductive justice movement is doing in terms of its relationship to issues that arise regarding RJ in prison. So I don't know if you could speak to that at all, or just if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, for sure. I would, to address that, take a step back and just recognize and acknowledge that our country has a horrifying history of sterilization, reproductive and medical abuse um, against people who are already victims of state violence, especially on populations of color. So when you look at the person who invented the field of gynecology, his name was J. Marion Sims, and he conducted surgical experiments on enslaved black women without anesthesia. The U.S. has enacted eugenics programs, systematized sterilization against indigenous people, black people, Puerto Rican people, as well as those with disabilities, and also tested birth control pills in Puerto Rico on women in non-consensual experimentation before bringing the pill to the mainland. Um, And these groups are still often targeted for, I'll say, kind of coercive um, contraceptive use. So pushing long-acting reversible contraceptives like IUDs and implants on people who might not have wanted that anyway, but they're told it's the only responsible thing. Um, and so they make that choice, but can we actually frame it a choice? Uh, it's kind of, it's exactly like how the thesis of the new Jim Crow is how mm-hmm. white supremacy has dealt with its goals towards marginalizing these groups in a direct way and has now pushed that all through the criminal injustice system. And so when we look at the history within the RJ framework, it's important to uplift 
the right not to parent as well as the right to parent. And that's all analyzing what choice really is. So I know very recently there was a case in Tennessee just earlier this year where a judge said he was willing to commute the sentences people in a women's prison if they volunteered for sterilization or IUD. How the fuck is that a choice? Yeah. Um, But there are really amazing groups who are working on um, issues just like that. There's near me in Maryland, uh, a group called Reproductive Justice Inside that's pushing for improvement of state health care access um, in women's prisons with a special focus on access to menstrual products and other birth issues. There are certain states where they enforce that pregnant people are shackled during labor or during appointments. It's absolutely inhumane and disgusting. The Sister Song Women of Color Collective recently, I'm pretty sure they got it into law or are almost there to end shackling in North Carolina for incarcerated pregnant people. And that's on the law in a lot of states. But it's not in Maryland, you're saying? No, not in Maryland. They're dealing with other issues. Um, And a lot of the problem is that states just don't have these laws on the books on how to deal with people who are incarcerated. And maybe right. the solution to that system is not having that system in place. Right. Um, <laughs> but the very least we can do, I think, at this point is make sure that people are receiving care um, in an affirming way. And that's a part of the incremental change work that needs to happen because <laughs> people can't wait. People are dying Absolutely. in prisons and maternal mortality, even for those with access to regular health care, is sky high, especially right. for black women. Yeah, thanks for elaborating on that. It is so fucking bleak. But but yeah. it's I'm 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 glad to know that people within the movement in both and you know, they're they're so intersectional. I don't want to say like yeah. the abolition movement and the RJ movement, but clearly people involved in those sort of in more formal ways are thinking through that and I'm I'm grateful for that. So uh, before I ask my next question, could you go back and define some of the acronyms that you were using? And one that I caught was like S plus. Oh, yeah. Making a whole list. There are some acronyms that you mentioned that I don't think all of our listeners are familiar with. No, it's okay. I just just wanted to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So um, LGBTQIA. 2S plus. That um, part, the 2S so plus. Could, a lot yeah. of, yes. A lot of times you'll see LGBTQ, sometimes um, IA are added for intersex asexual. Um, 2S is two-spirit, so that is um, including Excellent. indigenous people's gender identities. And then the plus is for anything else in the queer panoply. That's awesome. Um, and I think another uh, acronym I used was IUD, possibly, which is mm-hmm. intrauterine device, and that is a um, birth control device. Sometimes it is hormonal, sometimes it is not, but it is a long-acting, long-acting reversible contraceptive. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And it's good to know that the two spirits were, that community was added to the acronym. More of us should add yeah. that as well when we're doing the acronym. Agreed. My next question is, I, you've already brought up a lot of different issues that sure, RJ sure. addresses, but if you had to, because I'm going to ask you, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the biggest battles that your movement is working on today? I would say the most important uh, right now would be repealing the Hyde Amendment. And um, the Hyde Amendment is a, it's not actually a law. It is a rider, which is attached to the yearly appropriations bill. So that means it can be 
disbanded at any time, but it prohibits the federal government from funding abortion with Medicaid. So that means people are discriminated based on the type of insurance they have. And that means that a lot of the people who need abortion access cannot use their insurance. And that means they often just can't have the care they need because these are often people who can't just come up with the oftentimes 350 to 500 and higher at um, later terms dollars that you need to get this care. So that's why abortion funds exist. And it's incredible work. And another thing I'll keep gushing about this movement is that it is the only movement I know of that involves provision of care that is almost entirely volunteer based. So from clinic escorting, which is different from clinic defense, but they uh, fall in the same bucket to birth workers, full spectrum doulas, which is birth doulas and um, abortion care doulas and midwives. A lot of those positions are volunteers. um, And that's all under the umbrella of abortion provision. We don't like to call abortion providers just the people in white coats. Also, uh, abortion funders is often a volunteer position. We work in policy change. Almost everyone I know who works in a nine-to-five position in an RJ or reproductive rights-related field also does um, some volunteer-level work on the side, including like people who work in the culture change aspect. So the storytellers, artists, I want to shout out My friend Caitlin, who runs Liberal Jane Illustrations, does some awesome RJ-related artwork and the Repeal Hyde Art Project uh, to bring it back to how important getting rid of Hyde is to our movement. So it's very hard when you're working in a movement that is based on issues that people perceive as controversial to get funding and to legitimize um, these positions as paid labor. But that is something that it's not necessarily on the legislative front, but that battle is very real. Resources is a high need. Uh, Also right now, something that I spend most of my time in is fake clinics. Um, They're also called crisis pregnancy centers, fake women's health centers. um, And they're basically places that look like abortion clinics and they just exist to mislead, often lie and shame people out of the care they need. And they have all sorts of terrible, terrible tactics. I can give you resources uh, later or on the Facebook group or whatever about this or any other issues, because I definitely don't have the time to talk about it now. I could that could be its own podcast. That I just where do these the fake clinics even do they like emerge from churches? Is that where they get funding? Like how I'm just thinking of like that's it's wild. It's just mostly churches, but uh, these groups have such such deep pockets there's one yeah. network of Ugh. fake clinics i know that um is running very largely on fracking money so just wow. knowing that this Ugh. shit really is all connected yeah <laughs> kind of mind-boggling and deflating sometimes but uh, yeah. that's why we need to focus well i passed one of those pregnancy centers crisis centers mm. every day on my way to school Ugh. Yeah. shake your fist at them for me I will. But it's also, I mean, on the flip side, what makes me feel good is that we have a clinic that comes to our school, like at least once a week, and they have like a bigger clinic across, like very close to our school, and they provide full reproductive care. So it's good that we have activity Mm -hmm. on the other end. I just always am like so worried about people going into those spaces. And oh yeah, they have fake news-esque kind of tactics 
you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And they offer all these free services mm-hmm. and pretend they're going to help someone throughout a pregnancy and early childhood. And then they disappear once they've gotten what they want from you. Yeah. Which is to not Ugh. kill your, well, wow, I'm using their language, but basically they're like, yeah. Don't kill your baby. Okay, you didn't. Okay. Oh, you want food? Oh, you want food? Sta- oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want affordable housing? Yeah. No. Yeah. Here's a single pack of diapers, but good luck though. Right. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Oh, you yeah. can't Meanwhile. afford formula. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Right. Let me just <laughs> vote and make sure that you stay in poverty and just yeah. give you some diapers. Yeah. Ugh. So hey, speaking of Republicans and conservatives, yeah. So I was, I've, I've been very invested in the mass shooting gun reform mm-hmm. legislation discussions as of late, and sometimes I listen to conservative talk radio just to kind of know kind of how they're framing issues. Sure. And something that conservatives have been, for lack of a better term, like up in arms about is mm-hmm. you know all of the liberals trying to pick away at their rights, right? And so they're like, oh, great. Well, now it's like 21 and over. And now they want to ban the AR-15s. We have our rights to the Second Amendment. Like, you can't do that. And the whole time that they've been complaining about it, I've been thinking directly about what they've been doing to access for abortion and other reproductive rights that we have Mm -hmm. under Roe v. Wade and other legislations or just basic human rights. That is like extremely hypocritical but like do you understand that you've been using that same tactic against people who have the right to abortion um i just think that it's a brilliant strategy by you know making up these rules like you have to an abortion clinic clinic has to be you know so many miles close to a hospital you know you're familiar with all of these small tickings away but i was just like why how are you so upset we're like using your strategy you know mm-hmm. basically to yes chip i guess if you want to put it that way chip away at at your rights and so i was just wondering if the rj movement like has conversations about the hypocrisy or just kind of how you feel about that comparison oh for sure um first i want to share a story of the last time um i was out clinic escorting uh which for those who don't know is just standing outside a clinic usually wearing an uh, identifying vest um, and being a presence that can guard people against protesters. Um, we don't engage. We simply just escort in. But so last time I was escorting, and unfortunately, we cannot yell back at protesters, though sometimes you so want to. There, It was the day before the March for Our Lives, and I live in D.C., and um, this man who lived in the neighborhood outside um, the D.C. Planned Parenthood came up to one of the protesters and said, hey, am I going to see you at the march for uh, our lives tomorrow? You know, it's a super pro-life cause. And this woman said, you know, if those babies had guns, there would be no abortion. Oh <laughs> I never talked to these people, but I busted out laughing because are you saying they're going to shoot their way out? Like, <laughs> where is that oh logic? Um and the answer is the logic isn't there. Um, the the pro life movement and a lot of far right conservatism in general loves to pick and choose arguments um, that help them and then forget them as soon as they're helping us. And I'm sure you know people on the left um, do that too. But the hypocrisy of it is incredible, and that's why I often do like to use pro-life to describe them um, instead of anti-choice, which is what our movement really likes to hammer in, not using their language. But I think calling them pro-life 
is highlighting that hypocrisy because I can say, oh yeah, these pro-life people who um, are against DACA recipients, these pro-life people who don't care about um, kids dying in their schools because of guns, these pro-life people who don't want to expand Medicaid or offer any provision of services for people with disabilities. One thing that was interesting recently in Pennsylvania, they were trying to pass some type of restriction on, oh, it was on abortion um, for people with uh, Down syndrome diagnosis or fetuses with Down syndrome diagnosis. We know that these laws are not meant to serve people with disabilities in any way. They are meant to increase abortion bans and criminalize the people who have them. Um, and the proof of that was that disability advocacy groups kept trying to add into the law, oh, and how about also expanding this type of healthcare service for people with disabilities. How about adding in some inclusionary, like building requirements? They they were trying to add all these things and they kept getting struck down because all the conservatives actually wanted was to get this abortion ban passed. And so relating to restrictions on abortion care um, itself, we saw a couple of years ago with the case of Whole Women's Health v. Hellerstedt, which knocked down a lot of the laws about um, abortion clinics themselves, things like the grass length has to be uh, a certain number of inches, the idea that, okay, this was an amazing one, the, a doctor had to deliver their credentials to a patient in 12-point times New Roman font, and meanwhile, the oh. law that that was written in wasn't in 12-point <laughs> times New Roman font. Oh my goodness. Um, Water fountains, uh, hospital admitting privileges, which is not necessary for most abortion care because it is not like an inpatient procedure. It's often done in a couple hours uh, or a couple minutes and then recovery another hour or two. So all these things are not meant to make people safe, just like how you view gun control as something that actually can make people safe. And yet they don't want to provide any regulation on it. Since you work in legislation stuff, like, do they ever talk about finding a way to ban that kind of use of legislation? I've always wondered that, like, with, you know, people add riders on to the end of amendments, mm. or they'll just like these asinine rules about 12 point font. Do you <laughs> know if there's ever been any discussions in the government about limiting that and trying to define what a, you know, an add on is? Because I feel like this stuff is just so obviously evil. They're just doing it to cause problems mm. versus trying to pass laws that create betterness in the world, even if it's something that you and I don't agree with. You know, like there's mm -hmm. a difference between having a water fountain and 12 point new, times new Roman font versus, <laughs> you know, making sure that there's a hospital within a 60 mile radius of everybody in a state. Yeah. There's different levels. So yeah. Do you all talk about that? I can't think of anyone who's been working specifically on that. I know that, the Center for Reproductive Rights and Planned Parenthood Action recently, I think it's Planned Parenthood Action, um, one of their subsidiaries recently put out a 50-state push of trying to um, tailor new legislation to that state's needs, um, and that might have been a component of that. But I think it's really a testament to the totally fucked um, <laughs> political system we're in right now, mm -hmm. where we're relying on the courts just like a lot of other people. So when something passes and is totally cruddy, we are just blocking in court, suing and hoping for a win and <laughs> working towards that win. It's kind of similar to the case of um, the fake clinics that's in the Supreme Court right now. California wrote 
a really incredible law trying to regulate, trying to define um, what informed consent in a medical situation means and what consumer protection means. And the the fake clinics um, and a lot of their allies went and just sued. And it kind of progressed through the courts in a non-traditional way. And that's because I think all our sides really are relying on the courts right now because we know that the political system is not working. Yeah, that just must be, I mean, it's frustrating for me to read about. I can't even imagine Mm -hmm. working on legislation, you know, like you're saying, getting rid of the Hyde Amendment, Mm -hmm. just how frustrating it is. You know, like, we're Mm -hmm. not not that stupid. And like, that's how you're going to play this is you're going to put in stupid rules like that. Like, I guess you can, but like, are we in middle school? You know, like, (laughs) well, you can't come to our side of the playground if you don't have blue shoes on. (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's completely condescending and obviously built on entrenched white supremacy when you look at a lot of states are trying to pass uh bans on sex selective abortion based on the racist idea that people from asian uh, east and south asian backgrounds are having more uh abortions for female fetuses and we know that's not true there have been studies that that is not true in the united states but they're passing these bans and basically taking up their own twisted version of the white man's burden and saying we know what's best for uh, people who look like you and your families um it's entirely like you said condescending and disgusting actually that reminded me about the black genocide tactic Mm -hmm. can you explain that because they tried to they failed to come to our campus, but they showed up at a couple Black Lives Matter protests. And can you just explain this Black genocide argument? And There's a couple Black women authors who have written on it, and I will plug Aminista Jones wrote a good piece fairly recently, and Imani Gandhi a few years back, and hers was more related to how quote-unquote pro-lifers use specifically Margaret, Margaret Sanger's legacy with eugenics mm-hmm. as like a cudgel against Black people, and that is very real. She had ties to the eugenics movement. But how that framing is often used is saying that black women aren't smart enough to know what is good for their families. And they are being tricked by a system that wants to abort their children and decimate their population. When really the issue is that over time, systemically, we have put um, black people in situations where there's so many other health care factors against them. There's lacks of in times of medical literacy, people not knowing what they're getting into, as well as the history of reproductive coercion. I think it was Fannie Lou Hammer described having a Mississippi appendectomy, which is back in the early 1900s, people would go in thinking they were having an appendectomy and then come out sterilized. And so there's a long history of reproductive coercion and just narrowing it to the simplistic idea that abortion is what is killing black people. And yet you're not coming to Black Lives Matter protests unless you are protesting them or trying to inject your narrative, um, all while shaming black women's choices. That is not uplifting black people. I'm from Milwaukee. And so I visit Milwaukee Mm -hmm. often. And I remember seeing billboards um actually like at the segregation line that had a picture of a young black boy and it said endangered species yeah it wasn't about gang violence or drugs Mm -hmm. or the prison or the school to prison pipeline it was about how black women are aborting too many black people and so or black babies Mm -hmm. and so they're going to be an endangered species 
Yeah. Never mind all of the data that says otherwise. But I mean, and also like encapsulating what you just said about medical literacy Mm -hmm. and access to reproductive resources. I was just floored by it. And the the fact that it's it's other black people Mm -hmm. running these organizations. I was just I was just dumbfounded. (laughs) So it often is not other black people though. like they do exist there's a couple different organizations but a lot of it is white people <laughs> taking up this messaging mm-hmm. um another one of those billboards said the most dangerous place for a black baby is in the womb meanwhile <laughs> these groups are not doing anything to address black maternal mortality and infant yeah. mortality and morbidity That's um good, they yeah. have one idea in mind so while they could be saving dozens hundreds thousands of black babies Mm. by improving maternal care for black pregnant people what they're doing instead is trying to save that one fetus who they don't know that person's story they don't know that fetus's story they don't even know if that fetus is viable but they care about one thing hey killjoys just wanted to take a moment to remind you of all the places in which you can find us. You can subscribe to us using your favorite podcast application. Obviously, leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't already, where you've been. On the social media tip, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can like our page for episode updates, or you can join our closed community group where we have compelling and complex discussions. Feminist Killjoys Community Dash WTF Power exclamation point. On Spotify, make sure to follow our mixtape. It's Feminist Killjoy's PhD mixtape. We add our outro songs and other feministy songs to that. If you have some money and want to f- donate to us feminist media makers, you can join a growing group. Uh, search for our podcast name on Patreon and you can join us there. Um, or you could visit our website, which is fkjphd.com. Click on the Patreon logo there. Um, You can also find there a link to our PayPal where you can leave a monthly donation if you want to not be a part of the Patreon system or a one-time donation. Both are extra appreciated. So a little birdie that is on our website will take you to that area. And if you would like to email us in 2005, you can do that at fkj.phd at gmail.com. Or if you want to come back to the 90s with us, give us a call, leave us a voicemail. 414-858-7818. Let me backtrack one moment with Patreon. Um, Just as a reminder, $5 or more gets you access to bonus episodes, two free stickers, and the Killjoy Review newsletter. Donations of $1 or more gets you a sticker and access to the Killjoy Review newsletter. And any amount, uh, $1 to infinity, gets you access to some things that we post on the lens aspect of Patreon's. Thank you so much for expanding on all of that. Uh, The last thing we want, well, a couple last things. So first, I mean, we want to know where people can find you. But before that, um, how can they support the work that you're doing? How can they get involved as volunteers or um, donors? And then let us know where we can find you. I'd say first out, check out the Black Mamas Matters Alliance website. Uh, This past week, uh, the 11th through 17th of April, uh, was the first Black Maternal Health Week. Pushed out a lot of incredible actions, um, information campaigns, there were webinars, all of it will be evergreen no matter when you're listening to this, because this is going to be a long running struggle and issue. And there's been incremental progress made at local levels. But that's a really 
incredible organization or collective rather of organizations to get involved with. Also right now is the annual abortion funds game a thon. They do bowling, dance thons, all sorts of fun little fundraisers and my roommate Emily and I made a zine about Abortion Funds 101. And if you make a donation to the DC Abortion Fund Bolafon page, we will send you that. You can find a picture of that on my Instagram account, which is at the real Shireen, S-H-I-R-E-E-N. And I think it's like the third most recent uh, post to check out the zine. And then my day job is working for uh, an RJ organization as well. I tag them in my Twitter bio, which is at sheer mean. I don't tweet that much that isn't work related. If you want to read things that are coming from an RJ framework, which I'm usually amplifying. And you can find me on the FKJ community group on Facebook. I'm pretty active there and I sometimes bring in stuff from my volunteer work and nine to five. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we would love it if you joined us for reading, watching, listening after Mel gives our theme song. Reading, watching, and listening with Shireen, Melody, and Rachel. Who wants to start? Um, yay. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I forget if I mentioned that um, I was at a reproductive justice conference this past weekend. So I got a lot of materials to read, and I'm definitely going to get to those. But first, I'm revisiting the Kombahi River Collective Statement, which was a group of Black women who made one of the seminal written pieces of the RJ framework. And going to the conference this weekend, I was reminded that there are a lot of really important names that I don't know off the top of my head. And so I'm trying to re-ingratiate myself in that work so that I can be up on it. Like we were doing a show of hands of, who knows this name? Sure, sure. And as they continued down the list, that I knew fewer and fewer people. And that really checked me for watching it's right now is the dc film fest and so mm. i've been watching some uh films international and indie films and i'm also volunteering at the film fest so sometimes fun. between collecting tickets i pop in um, cool. for a quick minute and that's been super fun and listening i'm hitting cardi's new album pretty hard nice nice yeah Very good. cool now you want to go or you want me to i can go okay. i'm reading about syria <laughs> Because there was, mm-hmm. sorry, I shouldn't laugh. No, no. Okay, I'm reading about Syria. A lot of news stories I'm trying to keep up to date on because there was that bombing that happened, the missile strike that happened on Friday night. So I've mm-hmm. been reading a lot of news coverage about that. I've also been reading a lot of news coverage about the blizzard that's in Minnesota right now that I'm not a part of. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so I'm just reading a lot of news actually this weekend. I'm watching various clips of Beyonce at Coachella or Beychella, as they call it now. Uh, so she live streamed on Saturday night her performance. And so mm-hmm. there's been some clips that have been circulating around Twitter. And then I've been listening to the a very specific song on Sufjan Stevens, Sufjan Stevens' album. It's called Decatur. I'm in an area of Atlanta right now where Decatur is also like a is a an important historical space and so it was just interesting that he sings about the Illinois version and so I've been very Rachel-esque theme playing a Decatur song. Nice. Did that cool. make sense? I'm trying to keep it like really quick here because I yeah ramble too much but my explanation of Decatur and all that okay. I'm still reading M Archive. I think I'm going to finish it this week. I'm loving it very much uh, and I'm also reading some stuff revisiting all my favorite abolitionists, Elsa, uh, Angela Davis, Ruthie Gilmore, um, Miriam Kaba, uh, as I prepare this proposal that I'm 
writing right now. Uh, watching, I'm revisiting this show called Enlightened that was an HBO show that only lasted two seasons. And I watched it when it was first on and now I'm rewatching it. And I don't remember if I talked about this last week, but I, I really love it. It deals with capitalism and spirituality in a lot of really interesting ways. And I, and I really like it. Uh, and listening to also the new Cardi, mostly the chance, the song that chances on, I really like that song. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really fun. And, uh, so definitely listening to that and also the, still the new hop along, which is really, really good. Yeah. Not much, not much different or new, but thank you so much. This was so fun. I'm so, it's like, I feel, I don't know. I feel a little starstruck because I feel like I've known you for <laughs> almost two years now and now I get to talk to you. So that was super fun. Thank oh, you. This was wonderful. Yay. And WTF. Um, say it louder. <laughs> <laughs> Power. Okay, Woo. there we go. <laughs> Our stepmom, we did everything to hate her She took us down to the edge of Decatur We saw the lion and the kangaroo take her Down to the river where they caught a wild alligator Awesome, okay This is so great It was so, so fun to talk to you Gosh, just like I feel like, you know, I don't know When you're like of a certain age and like progressive or lefty or you think you know all the things about a lot of the things and I'm like no there's still always more to learn and I just learned a lot so there I'm really is. grateful for that okay great well thank you have uh, enjoy the rest of your day at the airport <laughs> thanks Ben <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> alright um, have a good one you too oh we'll talk gosh. to you soon Okay. Bye. Bye. Abraham Lincoln was the great emancipator. Chicken mobile with your rooster tail. I had my fill. Watch for the data, no small caterpillar, go congratulator.